Hello, and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of sports and technology. We are joined today by a fantastic group, uh, whom I'll introduce in a second. But first, I just want to remind you that if you want to follow us, follow us at Sports Loft HQ. Go to our website, sportloft.co, and follow and sign up for our newsletter, where you can get the latest news in media, sports, and tech. Uh, and also make sure to subscribe where you get your podcast if you want to hear more great conversations like what I'm sure this one is about to be. So today we're going to be talking about building an athlete's brand. And we all obviously know in the sports industry that the athletes are the straw that stirs the drink. Uh, it is what it is who people follow. It is who people fall in love with and eventually become fans and follow sports. So they are uh, the most important denominator. Uh, we're joined today by two heavyweights. Uh, I'd like to welcome Simon Oliveira, the Managing Director of Kin Partners. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. And Daniel Kirshner, who is the co-founder and CEO of Greenfly. Daniel, welcome back. Good to be here, Yanni. Thank you. Well, great to have you guys. So um, let's start by giving everybody a quick introduction to who you are and what you do. Uh, Simon, I'll start with you. Uh, there's obviously a lot to talk about, uh, and we'll get into it in the conversation, but give us a flavor. How long, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we can keep it to 35 minutes. How's that? Yes, yeah, yeah, do that. Uh, yeah, so uh, Kin, you know, I, I, I worked very closely with Simon Fuller at 19 Entertainment, uh, looking after uh, Mr. Beckham, Lewis Hamilton, and Andy Murray, um, and then set up Kin. Uh, Kin Partners, which was now coming up to eight years ago, and Kin sits at the heart of sport and entertainment, working with rights holders like Real Madrid and uh, and, and talent like Neymar uh, across the board. I suppose we're at the vanguard of understanding that talent and, and those rights holders are, are the new owners of their domains. Uh, and um, we sit, I would say, as a London agency punching uh, uh, in the heavyweight division, but still a very much a middleweight in that in that division. Fantastic, great to have you here. And Daniel, give us a bit of background on yourself and on uh, Greenfly, who are one of the first Sportsloft members. Yeah, so Greenfly is a software platform. Uh, we work with um, teams, leagues, media companies. Basically, we're a content exchange and collaboration platform. So we enable sports organizations like. Real Madrid, who you just mentioned, and Neymar, who you also just mentioned, are both users of our platform. Basically, uh, organizations like that, um, sports teams, leagues, right ho rights holders, use our platform to source content uh, from the pitch, the field, the court, uh, and route that content to various collaborators, broadcast partners, and you know, most, most notably here, uh, for these purposes, athletes. So for example, if you're an NBA player, and you step off the court, you open up the Greenfly app on your phone, you have a personally curated feed of all the relevant content from the game you just played. Highlight clips, photos, things like that. And then you can also go and search archive content, find other content and, and share that content on, on social media and other platforms. And then the organization can see who's sharing, where it's going, how it's performing uh, and things like that. Excellent. Well, I'm excited about today's conversation because, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of great examples and also some poor examples of athletes promoting and using their brands. Uh, and uh, obviously, we'll get into conversations around social media, given that nowadays athletes have direct access to the millions of fans who follow them. Um, but let's start with the idea of an athlete brand and kind of what that represents. Simon, when, when somebody says building an athlete's brand, what do you think of? 
there is a world in which they perform, right? Which, which defines the brand. So we, we can't forget that. Uh, what happens on the pitch still uh, is, is the determining factor uh, in all of this. But away from that is an understanding that there is a life beyond their football, their soccer careers or their basketball careers in which they want to engage with purpose of their passions. They want to be defined by that um, uh, legacy going forward. And an athlete's brand then becomes something which you, you forget there's two lives that these athletes lead. The one life in which they're, they, they, they play up to the ages in their mid-30s, if you're a golfer, obviously it's later. Uh, but then they have a second life. So many, many individuals understand or want and need to understand that that brand has to be something that they're able to commercialize and live off and, um, and build off for the rest of their lives. And an athlete's brand um, is what the public perceive or you want the public to understand about that individual, what, the, what, what separates them from others. Um, what would you know what you're buying into what the community buys into uh and yeah it, there's a lot of, obviously clearly a lot of definitions within that but um that in its simplest term is it yeah and daniel you guys do a lot of work around providing um opportunities to athletes to share uh and talk about that brand and promote it whether through existing content or generating their own content and then sharing it widely how do you see athletes uh, uh using that technology and uh connecting in an authentic way and showcasing what their brand is with your various partners yeah it's a it's an interesting question so um in, in some sense we don't you know, we have tens of thousands of athletes uh, using our platform, but in some sense, we don't work with those athletes directly. What we're really working, who we're really working with are the organizations that are then working with those athletes. So what we do is we really connect those two, those two parts. So for example, an athlete is connected with his or her team or his or her league and able to get access to content and also be involved in opportunities to provide that content back to that organization. And the same is true with, with brands that we work with. So in many cases, what we're doing is giving um, athletes access to a feed of really useful materials that they can then use to, to build their brand and to build on top of. Sometimes we even speak in terms of co-creation. You know, they get some assets. Um, you know, uh, one NBA player, you know, recently took a bunch of the pieces of content and made an incredible TikTok out of it. You know, they can take these these building blocks and then deploy them in really meaningful ways to build their brand. So we're really, in some sense, connecting. We're not working with the athletes directly. We're working with organizations that are in a position to provide those athletes with resources that then they can use to build their brand. And also, it's, it's really a mutual experience because not only are they building their brand, but they're also in a sense, building the brand of the organization to which they're connected through our platform. And it's the 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 really interesting thing there for me uh, is as a, as a bit of a dinosaur kind of coming uh, coming into the social media world. Like every time I post, I spend you know five minutes thinking about how it's going to be perceived and how is this gonna uh, how is this gonna come across. I've got like three followers, you know. A lot of these guys have, you know, David David Beckham is the sixth most uh, followed athlete on the entire planet, I think, right? So, but at the same time, when you're building that brand, you want to have authenticity. So you don't want to be spending too much time thinking about how am I posting? Am I posting enough? You, Simon, you must have wrestled with this, you know, 
both at 19 and at kin massively. How do you guys approach that when you're talking to your athletes and kind of thinking about how everything that they do impacts on the brand? It keeps us awake at night, right? The interesting thing is you were much more mindful of, not to say you're not mindful now, of course you are, but in the past, you had to talk for a third party, right, which was the media. And you were unsure how that would be spun, how that would, would be communicated to the public. Now you do have that control. It, it, but how much access do you allow into your world and how much access do you control? You know, a modern, you know an influencer like, you know, uh, Kim Kardashian or an influencer who starts from a blank canvas effectively can sort of curate and build and architect her house or, or their houses. Whereas an athlete still has what happens on the pitch and still performs. So it, it, they're very guarded as to what they can, can talk about or not talk about. There's the case, obviously, of Ollie Robinson, who's a cricketer in the UK, who has had some tweets going back to when he was younger and a teenager. And now it's, not, it's no longer what you, you're about to say in the present. It's also what you've said in the past that, that has value. So, yeah, you know, every from the top guys, from the, the bigger guys that I work with, down to the young athletes that come in, the young footballers and others, everyone is very, very careful, very guarded as to how they use it. Um, and most prefer to go down an image-led route, Instagram, where it's quite safe, rather than Twitter, in which you have to voice an opinion. Uh, and then you've got, obviously, TikTok, which is much more fun, much more engaging, and you're less likely to get in trouble. You can look mm -hmm. silly, but you're less likely to get in trouble. So it depends on the platform uh, and depends on the vehicle you do. But a lot of planning, a lot of thought goes into it, and a lot of work goes into it, a lot of education also uh, of our talent in terms of how to operate in that world. So you guys both work in this kind of push-pull dynamic between uh, organizations and athletes, right? And, and, you know, one of the buzzwords in at least the NBA uh, geek community is uh, uh, player control, player power, right? How players are really starting to define their own legacies without needing to be as dependent as they used to be on the organizations that employ them. Um, you know, Daniel, you 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 must see this all the time let me give you a real world world example when we were when i was at formula e one of the big things that we used to say is we haven't been able to build the profile of the drivers to the level that we want them to be and you can see drive to survive with formula one has basically turned around formula one's fortunes because it has humanized the people and given direct access and sort of given them a personality how do you see that dynamic? How many of the organizations that you work with do you see actively trying to push to build the athletes' brands and make them uh, sort of have big followings and make them in, uh, uh, people who engage with a fan base and become um, an entry point through the athlete to the organization, be it the club or the rights holder? Yeah, it's a very good uh, question. We see a lot of that. I mean, I think basically there's an understanding at this point by the rights holders and by, you know, the, the, the clubs and the leagues and the teams that uh, that the athletes are in a unique position to really engage an audience, that people build relationships uh, in many ways with athletes first, or often those relationships are, are you know, as stronger or even stronger uh, than the teams and leagues in which they play. And so I think there's a general appreciation at this point by those organizations 
you know, that it isn't oppositional, that those athletes having big brands is in their interest as well. And uh, to give you a really, uh, really specific example of this, I mean, one of the leagues that w- where we really first took off was Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, I think of, of all the sports in the United States, had much more, you know, team-based following um, historically, um, but also mm-hmm. was, was, you know, its audience has been aging. You know, the one, the group, a group that has not been aging are the athletes. You know, they're, they're, they're young, they're digital natives, they're, they're coming up, they're very adept. And so I think they really realized that the way to really build these connections with a younger audience has been enormously successful. Um, the way to build, you know, to build these relationships is really through those athletes. And so there are a couple of things that you need to do if you want to do that. First of all, you want to really encourage them to build their brands. You don't want to uh, discourage them. You want to really encourage them. And you also want to give them the tools they need to build their brands. So some are going to be able to do that very, very naturally and very, very easily. And they're going to be very comfortable. Others uh, might be less comfortable or not sure what to say or, or, not, or not have, not, not have uh, stuff to say as often at the kind of cadence that you need to, to sustain and build interest on social media. And so by, by giving those, those athletes access to some of the most compelling moments from, from you know, gameplay and, and you know, around, the, uh, around uh, the actual events themselves, they're giving them a steady stream of really compelling content that they can put in there. And I know when Major League Baseball did an analysis of their athletes that were using Greenfly, they found a couple of things. First of all, they found they were, that their, um, the cadence of how much content they're posting went up 24% when they started using Greenfly. They also found that their follower growth went up 52%. Um, so it had a very enormous impact to create. That's that's Major League Baseball's followers, not no, the, the athletes. The athletes, uh, followers, the athletes followers when they were using Greenfly as, as compared to when they, right. to when they weren't or to, as compared to, to athletes who weren't. And so that had, um, you know, what they're seeing is a very big impact on the follower growth in, in the athletes. And not only that, it's not just, you know, it's not just random or, or, or you know, growth in them as, as, as personalities and their general brand, but the content that was really feeding a lot of that growth, because it was coming from the league and coming from the teams or made available by them, was really connected with the sport itself. So it was driving interest back to the teams, back to the sport. So it really was a mutually beneficial relationship where they were building their brand, they were building their followers, they, they had um, incredibly compelling content to provide, um, but they were also building the brand uh, and and the value of the organizations that they were that they were playing for. Um, so hmm. so you know th- I think that there really is that appreciation at this point um, on both sides that the athletes it's it's valuable for them to build their brand. Obviously, it's it's in many ways a, a you know retirement plan for them um, and a way to build you know all sorts of value outside of play and that's even more important for uh, athletes in, in smaller sports where you know a larger percentage of their income comes from uh, sponsorships and things like that but um, also the leagues are understand that it's it's in their interest for those athletes to build their brands as well so it's really mutually beneficial mm. and and I think that's something that you know has become really commonly accepted and then the question becomes okay how do we do that how do we help our athletes out? Um, how do we, you know, give them the resources they need? Uh, and and how do we really help them build their brands? 
Mm. And is there a tipping point? Is there a point sort of past which, you know, you think of David Beckham or Neymar, you know, superstars with huge global followings, Cristiano Ronaldo, is is there a tipping point at which an athlete would say, actually, do you know what, this is, I I don't want to keep posting club stuff. You know, I want to post my own stuff. I want to build my own brand in a different way. Or is it, you know, you could even think of somebody like Marcus Rashford, who during lockdown did the incredible drive for uh, uh, for underprivileged families to provide food, and you know wanted to focus very strongly on that. Simon, with your experience, wh- where is that tipping point between leveraging the followership that can come from being associated with one of these mega brands, Man United or Real Madrid or PSG, um, versus building the athletes' brand specifically? I think the two are intertwined uh, and they, interestingly, when David Beckham, David Beckham's primary success uh, and ascendancy into iconography, you would say, was not, was not during, was not during the height of social media, actually. You know, I wonder where he would be now uh, in terms of social media numbers, if, 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 if those platforms had been around. Yeah. so we so David was a, was an older man when he joined Instagram. So we were very careful to pick our moment, uh, which was funnily enough around his 40th birthday, and and there was a lot of thought and, and time that went into that and and, and, and integrating that world behind it. And to be fair to clubs, going back to your point, uh, Yanni, the, the clubs are fairly you know they they don't force the players to post too much. There isn't there isn't a sense that the clubs are on top of the players to do that. Often, you know, and, and, and it's useful for the players to have access to the club's assets, you know, and, you know, we wouldn't get access to the training ground, for example, you know, the club has that. So you want to work mm-hmm. with the club to get that, to get that, to get those, um, to get those visuals and, and, and video. I think the more successful, you're quite right, the more successful athlete brands are the ones that really begin to cut through outside of their own uh, professions, right? So Marcus Rashford focused on something which was true to him, and, and there was a real authenticity from when he was growing up. Um, he had suffered, you know, from food shortages. Had suffered from being in situations where his mother uh, couldn't make ends meet, and it, 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 you could tell it was a driving force behind him. And, and he became, he championed that cause, and everything he did. It goes back to that point about authenticity. Everything he did. Uh, had an authentic route, had an authentic center to it. And a lot of it came from him. You can see, you know, there's no, there's no fooling anyone when it comes from that. So I, I, I don't think at this stage there is a friction between the club and the player on that, even though the player, some players have more fan bases and more social media followings than the clubs, the, the Titans and the clubs that they represent. Um, uh, but, you know, whilst the player is there at that football club or whilst the player is there at that franchise, there is a mutual a connection between the two that benefits each other. There's, there's no doubt Real Madrid helped Cristiano Ronaldo. Of course it did. And likewise, Cristiano helped Real Madrid in terms of, in, in terms of that growth. So both, both are symbiotically attached to each other in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder, and I don't know, this is a, this is purely a question for uh, either of you, but, uh, you know, there have been 
um, athlete deals, which have involved marketing rights and the combination of marketing rights and sponsorship from player imagery with the club and pulled together. Uh, uh, has that started to seep into the world of social media and building a brand in terms of minimum engagement and posts? Have either of you seen anything like that start to start to happen? I should think that some of the more forward thinking clubs or rights holders might want to ensure that they're getting, uh, if they sign a megastar, that they're getting uh, not just the organic growth, but also getting additional uh, support and access to their channels. I mean, could just speak to what what I've seen, which is, um, so brand relationships are obviously very different, right? So a sponsor comes in and it, there'll be contractual obligations around social media and things like that. When it comes to the, the leagues, the teams, you know, the right holders, I have... I personally have never seen any kind of requirements around that. Really, uh, what those organizations are depending upon is that mutually beneficial relationship. And I don't think it's not about a requirement. You know, it's I mean, we look at what, like the way Greenfly gets rolled out, mm. like you know, PSG is an example. I think they put it on, you know, three players phones and every other player wanted it, you know, by the end of by the end of the month. You know, it, this is something that they want. This is something that they ask for. This is something that they view as a benefit and to them and it's also a benefit to the organization but it's not hey can you try to you know can you post at least this number of posts it's it's more hey we're going to make really great stuff available to you and you're going to it you know you're you're in control of your accounts you're going to choose what to post you're going to choose how to present it you're going to choose you know what copy to add to it i mean our system allows people to suggest copy you know but we really only really see that in the brand context unless it's like a particular announcement, you know, like there's, you know, they're playing a game, you know, the, the MLB plays a game in London and they do trailers for it. They might have a suggestion around how to present that or something. But again, it's, it's always, hmm. it's always, um, it, it, it really is viewed as a, a gift and a benefit, uh, you know, to the athlete, even though it is delivering value, uh, to the club. And that value is immense. I mean, that, that is one of the reasons, um, you know, this recent uh, Sportico article about the impact Ronaldo was having on, um, you know, uh, on, on uh, you know, his club. And, and, and the whole point was looking at his social media and seeing that the club sponsors were many of the, the sponsors that were getting the most value out of his social media feeds. You know, some of those uh, most valuable brands were ones that were sponsoring him directly, but others were the clubs. And that is one of the reasons that, you know, a club wants to engage an athlete is because they're going to share that content and it's going to have that, that logo on the Jersey or, you know, that signage, you know, on the, on the, on the side of the pitch or whatever it is. But, um, you know, so there are those benefits, but it's not, but it's got to, but it, it's always framed as, you know, here is something that we're providing to you and you can make a decision. I, I have never even seen, um, like mandated onboarding. I mean, we have uh, for all the leagues that we work with, we have, you know, well over 90% of athletes participating. It's a hundred percent voluntary. Uh, it's all voluntary. They're, they're on there because they want to be on there, not mm. because they have to be. I mean, sometimes they might say, Hey, you know, we're, we're doing um, a photo shoot and we're going to give you your photos on, on Greenfly. So that obviously is a pretty strong incentive to come on, but it's never, it's never a mandate. Uh, it, it's always, an option and it's always viewed as a benefit and it's not about your requirements even though you could sit down and you could crunch the numbers and you could say oh look you know psg derived you know 47 million dollars in marketing value you know uh by this 
uh, you know, by, by these social media shares, or, uh, you know, they were able to negotiate, you know, a much larger sponsorship deal because of these shares like those, you know, it does have monetary value, a tremendous monetary value to the clubs that are using it, but it's not uh, set up as a kind of commercial relationship with the athlete. I think, um, and I think there's, there's really no need to, and sometimes it's, it's a lot easier to get some, you know, to, to get somebody to do something because they're, uh, because they want to do it. In fact, I think it's much easier than even than you're paying them to do it. So that's what we've seen. I've gotten in, um, a question to you guys, actually, in the sense that, you know, there, there is discussion at the moment, certainly uh, in Europe, particularly with the leagues here, that the younger generation, whether that, because they're engaging with sport in a different way, that they are buying into talent and the athletes more than the clubs. That they that they play for. Now in the US, I see not necessarily in the college system, but in, in certainly in the US with regard to some of the, the major league franchise teams, that if LeBron leaves Cleveland and goes to Miami, that there is a fan base that will follow LeBron rather than stick with Cleveland, right? Probably a bad example because there's quite a fervent fan base in Cleveland, right? But do you do you sense that that is something that's only becoming more prevalent isn't going to go away uh, and that's not going to impact football as well as soccer as well as as well as american sports or do you think that that's just something really particular to u.s sport it's a uh, i mean i can give my perspective on that it's a it's a very interesting uh question and i don't have you know data uh, on hand i mean my sense is there's a strong geographical bond still with the teams and, and I do think some of that following, like you know, I live in LA and, you know, people were not rooting for Cleveland when LeBron was on Cleveland, you know, they're, but now that he's on the Lakers, they're his biggest fans. You know what I mean? And not, not, they didn't respect and appreciate him when he was, when he was on the Cavs, but I mean, it, it really, it, you know, they're, they're, people are Lakers fans first. Uh, I, I do think, you know, and this is again, more, more speculation, but my sense is that, you know, a lot of the international audience for American sports, and I think it's probably true for the international audience for you know European football, for example, is probably more tied, uh, and maybe you know to, to some of the individual athletes, yeah. uh, because they don't have that geographical tie to to you know the teams that are playing. Where I'm sure you know in within Europe, you know people are probably more tied to their local clubs or the clubs that their you know parents yeah. were fans of when they were growing up and and things like that. I mean, there is a kind of geographical tie. I mean, I think it 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 it's it definitely seems true to me that, you know, there is more um, allegiance in fans. I think, I think a big, imp- I think a big factor in that has been fantasy sports also, which is kind of, you know, uh, chopped up, you know, people's attention in different ways. Right. You know, there, um, so I think there's definitely a strong element of that. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it's something that certainly that, that the clubs should or, or think that they need to, you know, resist by, by trying to sort of tamp down, you know, like, oh, we don't want these people to be too big a star because it's going to, you know, cut away from us. I think, you know, it's, it's something that's sort of happening. They have to ride it. Um, but I still think there are very strong geographical ties um, that, you know. I think 
Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a really good question. And while Daniel was just answering, I was I was thinking about it, and I think so. I mean, we've seen it in Europe, and you see it yeah. regularly, but you don't see it in sort of the the bigger team sports. You see it with the team sports where where an individual is crowned the champion. So motorsports struggle with this all the time. Cycling struggles with this all the time, right? Are yeah. you a fan of Bradley Wiggins or Team Sky uh, or Ineos Grenadiers yeah. or you know as they are now? Uh, are you a fan of Lewis Hamilton or? Uh, McLaren or Mercedes? Are you a Max Verstappen fan? And I think in those sports, there is a much clearer delineation, you know, Ferrari aside, there's a much clearer delineation of I am a fan of this cyclist or driver than of a team. So uh, a driver coming across will take a, a, a pretty big following with them. It's why, you know, Danny Ricardo has been so successful because he's a great driver, but he also has a great following and is very authentic on, uh, on, on social. And therefore everywhere that he's been, he has attracted a pretty big following um, uh, from Red Bull to Renault and now at, uh, at McLaren. Um, yeah. I think we, in, in team sports, we're probably going to see that more as mm-hmm. athletes start to build up those followings. So I don't know that, you know, in, 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 in the context of generation Z, right. Uh, even Neymar is, is kind of a dinosaur almost, you know, but uh, some of these yeah. younger players who are coming through that this generation followed basically from the start, like you say, from their living room, from when they were on the couch, wondering whether they were going to get a contract with Macclesfield town. And then they went from Macclesfield to, you know, wherever, and then they wind up around Madrid. I think we'll probably start to see a lot more of that because people have followed the journey from the very start, but it's, it, I do think it's going to be the absolute mega stars who have that kind of, uh, that kind of draw. Uh, I, I don't know that it's going to be sort of a big leveler. There will still be a very strong geographical, um, uh, geographical element, which actually brings me to, to a question I wanted to ask, ask you, which is that in building that profile and building that stardom, you as an agent, you said it's what keeps keeps you awake at night, right? It's what it's what makes you it's what makes you nervous. So, give us a flavor of like how how do you do that? How much how much of kind of what our perception is that oh that's the agency posting that's not the that's not the athlete is is true. It, it, it has to come from the athlete, and you want it to come from the athlete. But obviously, the younger they are, the more they they're learning the right. So they're trying to understand what's right, what's wrong. Um, so they they'll work with the team to to understand what types of things that are the right things to post right and 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 what are the areas to post in and so they're heavily involved and they will always have you know some you know whether they're using an agency i think there was a case of phil foden recently in which he worked with an agency um uh and that agency that agency was given a lot of criticism actually it wasn't the agency's fault they worked hand in hand with phil he's still a young kid he's still trying to understand how you know as you said you know they're holding you know it's like the power of the ring in their hands you know and they're frodo you know or are they you know so so with them it's 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 incredibly powerful that phone in their hands and they want to make sure that they're not going to say anything that will that will that will piss off the club that will alienate their fan base that will get them into trouble so there'll always need be people around them that sense check things um and also work with them to develop creative content that fits their brand strategy. So there's nothing wrong with that. And as they become older, they become much more in control of 
their destiny and what they want to say. And that's what you want to see. And, and look, you do get a unicorn once in a while, like Marcus Rashford. Those are, you know, they're rare. You know, <laughs> somebody comes out that forthright early on and is incredibly eloquent in what he says. Same with Raheem Sterling. It takes time, right? It takes time for them to find their voice. And the teams around them, yep. one act as a protective shield, but also very much sometimes, you know, um, you know, you, you know, just just handhold them, you know, and become the Pied Piper, allowing them, you know, to slowly but surely, you know, find that voice in the public arena. Because most of these kids, all they ever wanted to do was kick a football or to throw a ball or to or to hit a bat. That's all they've ever wanted to do. And suddenly at the age of 17 or 15, they're told they have to become role models and public figures. And let's be very clear. I was, if you had spoken to me, it's, I wasn't a role model at 28, let alone 17, you know, and I'm not even sure I'm one now. <laughs> so at seven, at seven, 16, 17, most of the guys listening, yeah, most of the guys listening to this call will be like, well, I, I, I couldn't even put my trousers on the wrong way, the right way, you know. So, um, so we're expecting these guys to, expecting these guys to become authorities on things when they're not, you know, and, and you've got to give them time to find that eloquency, to find that voice. And, and it's good that they have people around them and it has to be the right people that, that can help, that can help them, you know, that can help, that can help find that voice and, and guide them in the right manner and protect them. Is there a social contract? Is there a social contract that says you knew, you knew what you were getting into. You've seen what's happened to athletes before. You're not an idiot, you know? If 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 you if you were to become famous, like you 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 would have to expect that. I I, I look here's, that's a good, really really good point, right? I the world believes there's a social contract. The media, I, I can guarantee you, will tell there's a social contract. Those those players didn't start out kicking that football believing there was a social contract. You know, if you think their world is X Factor or American Idol every year. Some players will go through to the next year. Some players will leave, will leave right? And then, you're, and then you lose some friends. You go to the next year. You go to the next year. So they're living and breathing this concept and idea of, will I make it? And there's a small percentage of those guys that make it. So their only focus is making it as, a, as an athlete. Their only focus. Yeah. And, winning, and then it's winning trophies. This social contract is... Is something that the public, I don't know if it's the public, it's a good question, Yannick. Is it the public? Is it the media? Is it society? Is it society? I don't know who's come up with this idea of the social contract, uh, the, so, the contract. But what we do know is that they influence kids, they're, they're role models to kids. And with that does come a sense of, you know, uh, responsibility. It does come with a sense of responsibility. I sound like, you know, sound like Batman, that, you know. You know, you come with a sense of responsibility, but it does. It does come with a sense. It does come with a sense of responsibility um, to do that. But but they're not prepared for it. They're not prepared for it. And it, and it's and it's and it's beholden to the clubs and the yeah. management teams and the right yeah. management teams and their families to come together to 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 to, to build a, a a plan that everyone works towards. Yeah. Mm. And in, in that context, Daniel, you also will see, you know, a lot of a lot of athletes, like you say, use Greenfly and use that content that is provided uh, uh, almost because it's, uh, I don't, risk-free, 
right? It's like, you know, it's, it's approved, it's engaged, it's, it's engaging and that's great. How much feedback have you had from clubs uh, and or athletes in terms of saying, uh, you know, it's, it, it's great not to have to worry and not to have to second guess everything? I think it's a big factor to have, you know, a, a steady, and, and we work with media companies, entertainment companies as well that are providing all sorts of assets. Like, you know, we work with ESPN and they provide highlight clips from the shows to, you know, to their talent, for example, for them to share on, on their channels and, and things like that. Um, and I think it is really helpful to have um, just a, a, a great um, store or feed or whatever you want to call it of, of great, easy to deploy content. Uh, and I think one of the things that it does is, is it sometimes really opens up uh, some people who are very shy on social media. You know, sometimes the most reticent people, uh, they, ha- they might have a huge following because of who they are, what they do, uh, you know, uh, but, but they, they haven't really developed a, a large uh, a personality in social media just because that's not you know, something that they're necessarily comfortable with and they're able to provide something that's valuable to their fans. You know, I think that, you know, when we talk, when Simon talks about, you know, brand building, I mean, I think the most, um, you know, successful elements uh, athletes at building their their brand are really uh, making use of those building blocks that they're getting, but they're building on top of it with, you know, stuff that they're creating or even just adding their own spin to the content that's being provided to them. Uh, in a way that, um, you know, that is not just simply, you know, de- deploying it, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I think it's, it, it's really a mix, but, but look, I mean, you know, there are some of the, the, you know, best athletes in the world, they don't feel comfortable doing that. And their fans are really excited and happy to get great content from them on social featuring, you know, stuff they're doing, having their, you know, walk-in photo in the NBA in their suit, going to the locker room. And, and that's something that, that, that they love to see. And, it's easy for the athlete to be able to share that. And, you know, that's not, that, that's great. Um, you know, I think that another group of athletes is going to build on top of that and, and have their own perspective. I think the challenge is, um, you know, that there's, there's always like, you know, risk around that as we discussed. And, you know, if you are doing that, you, you know, you have to um, do it with the you know personality that's authentic to yourself. And there has to be a viewpoint. I mean, we've seen, you know, a lot more, uh, you know, political viewpoint and social viewpoint and stuff like that. And it's very, very powerful. Um, you know, but, you know, but the more you do that, the more kind of risk you're creating as well. So, you know, the most, um, you know, successful, we talk about somebody like, like, like Marcus, uh, Rashford, you know, he's able to express tremendous amount of personality and because of who he is, he's not stepping on any landmines because that's just not who he is. Um, you know, mm. but, uh, it really depends upon the, the personality involved, I think, uh, so it, 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 is, it is difficult, but I think it's just very helpful to have a resource that you can always turn to where you have something great that you can share that's going to, you know, light up your, your, your social media following and, and delight them. Uh, but, um, you know, but I think the most successful brand builders are, are layering on top of that with their own perspective on that content and with, you know, additional things that they're doing themselves. Absolutely. Well, listen, we're, we're closing in on the 40 minute mark here. So we'll, uh, we'll look to, to wrap this up, but I'll throw two questions at each of you, uh, before we go. Uh, the first one is name an athlete and it can be one of yours. Uh, but by the way, stuff that you guys have done with David has always been incredible. I think he's been fantastic on, uh, on social and the way that he's managed his brand. Um, uh, but 
Name one athlete that you think does uh, their brand building in the public arena really, really well. Who would you use as a model? And the second thing, we are all about technology and the intersection of technology with the sports and media world. What's next? What do you see as the next technological frontier for athletes and building their brands? Simon, I'll start with you. Ah, that's not a, that's not an easy one. Who would who would who would I, I mean? We talked about a, a couple here, haven't we? In terms of Marcus and LeBron, you know, who have been. I do like. I am fascinated with what LeBron and and, and Mav have done. You know, uh, Maverick Carter is a business partner, and and and, and those guys. I think. It's similar to what we've done with David, right? Is that diversification of the brand? You know, one minute one's talking about uh, what's going on on the streets in in American City. Uh, the next time, and then he's appearing alongside Bugs Bunny and uh, in, in in a film, and and, and and then he's talking to Obama. Now, this is an athlete who's who's created a show. Uh, and they show concept with his partners and at the same time has brought the former US president onto that show to interview. So that is the Nadir. This, this sort of feels to me like the peak of athlete sort of uh, a brand diversification, you know. And and when I you know, when we were always with David, we I, the constant thought in my head and the team around us was always how can we make him relevant to a younger audience? You know, how can we make him relevant? and re-energize them and reinvent the brand to a younger audience. And that's that always what dominate our thoughts, you know, going forward. So um, so I think from from our perspective, you know, from that as well, I think that's an interesting one. I, I, I'm fascinated with what some of the younger, uh, some of the younger ambassadors are doing. Um, uh, I think they're finding their voice in the past. That wouldn't have been the case. I think they're finding their purpose. They're not afraid to voice their opinion. Um, and mm. that does excite me. And the second question on technology, you know, I've, you know, me, both me and my team have just been lost down rabbit holes of blockchain and uh, um, uh, and facial technology uh, and NFTs. And we've 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 you know we're constantly thinking how to innovate. I think blockchain is an interesting view into the future, which is owning the moment, owning the property owning that and so it's we're still in the early embryonic stages of it but i'm fascinated by that and what athletes can do otro which was i obviously i was um one of the early founders of which was otro to those that don't know about it was this idea that all of these athletes would come together um onto one platform and it was neymar it was david beckham it was messi it was uh Zidane and various others came on together on one platform and this concept of them owning that platform and the content and it, what does a modern day fan club look like, you know? Uh, and I think somebody's going to get that right, right? Which is this platform that not only where those, those athletes are not only owning the content that they distribute, but also uh, the moments of their past and their time. I'm also fascinated by, you know, VR, you know, and the digital self going forward, you know, and can I, can I, can, how does Cristiano Ronaldo own his digital self, you know, in the current climate in the future? All of these things um, are giving me white hairs at night and probably I should go to an island somewhere and just lie down and drink. <laughs> <laughs> 
That sounds good. I just want to make clear that if anybody decides to sell an NFT of David Beckham's goal against Greece, yes. the famous one, I'm boycotting the whole thing. <laughs> I'm going to try and I'm, 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 I'm taking it down. Um, Daniel, over, over to you. Who's doing it well and what's the future? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to, to piggyback on what Simon was saying. I mean, Le- LeBron, actually, we worked with LeBron and Maverick from, uh, you know, Mav from their very early days at, at Uninterrupted. And really, like, they had a very, um, you know, early vision of really, you know, really direct connection between the athlete. I mean, the whole notion of, you know, Uninterrupted and more than an athlete, really direct connection yeah, between the athlete and and the audience. So it's hard not to point to them. I mean, an athlete that, that you know, that I've gotten to know that is really impressive and really exciting right now that I've been a lot of attention to is, is Chris Paul, who, um, is very interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a real, uh, leader, you know, he's the president of the the players association at the NBA, which had a really, um, you know, huge, uh, social justice impact, um, over the course of the past year, uh, somebody who's built a really strong, uh, you know, following and appreciation, uh, over time, um, on, on social media and then has really diversified other things. He did a great documentary with, uh, with HBO this year about about the, the the social justice stuff and the impact of COVID on the NBA and stuff like that, which is very interesting. So I think you know somebody like that who's who's built like that kind of steady uh, a profile in, in a variety who's become a leader, not just you know on social media, but you know obviously with the players' association and behind the scenes as well, and then is able to really build and, and leverage a, a brand, um, you know over over a very long and um, uh, and story career, I think, is something that you know is, is particularly exciting. And then Marcus Rashford, who we were talking about earlier, you know, especially you know, just seeing that percolate, even obviously in the United States, you know, I mean, somebody that people are just very, very aware of, who has a big impact, a strong story to tell, and and just you know, uh, is able to to really you know connect very directly with people. So, yeah, I'm also I'm, I'm intrigued by um, we're now living in we're now hitting that I think that generation of athletes that have that level of resource and money to pretty much purchase the clubs mm. that may have brought them up, right? Uh, I think mean, I mean, it's a fascinating world of SPACs and, yeah. and ownership groups and, and you know, and, and these individuals now who are able, you know, back at, you know, a player in the 60s or the 70s would have, their retirement would have been, you know, owning a pub or, or a gym. But now, now it's now it's fascinating. I think you know, you know, we could see maybe in twenty years' time, the you know, a Ronaldo owning Real. Also, well, no, it's a members club. Bad example of of Real Madrid, but certainly owning a, a Premiership with Manchester United. You know, so it's 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 a it's an interesting it's an interesting one. We one of the first things that I remember when when David's career ended, mm. uh, retired. He retired in Paris uh, on the on the Saturday. I think it was on the Friday. On the, on the Sunday, we were on our way already to Miami to discuss the the potential franchise there. So already our thought, our thought process, the net, well, actually we had, you know, there was already a lot of planning and, and looking for the right franchise. But our, on that Sunday, there was already a, a, a clear view that he wanted to, to, to own that football club. So that's, for me, an interesting, an interesting um, view into the future, I think you know, where these athletes may become more powerful than, than, than the clubs they used to play for. Yeah, yeah that's very interesting. Yeah, I see a lot of athlete investments in, in clubs for different sports and stuff too as well, even sports they didn't play in. And I mean, there's really a lot of interesting stuff going on there. So, yeah, absolutely. Just to, just to 
uh, piggyback on that, just as we close, how long before David's retirement did you start thinking about the next step? How long do you start thinking about that? Because he had he went from uh, obviously he went to the Galaxy where he had a five year contract. He did um, Milan. He did finished up in PSG. There were those rumors about Tottenham for ages. Like, at what stage did you start to think, okay, we need to figure this out? It was the Galaxy contract. So the Galaxy contract was quite a unique contract for a yeah for a sports star, right? In the sense that David um, not only was paid as a player, but they couldn't, you know, obviously they couldn't match his wages within the MLS at the time. So there was a unique structure to that deal that allowed David to own a percentage, a significant percentage of the revenues of uh, the difference he made from when he arrived to, to obviously um, to the at various points in those years. And as part of that, there was a discounted franchise option that we negotiated mm. for him one day uh, if he wanted to own a football club in the States. And uh, we, didn't know, well, we didn't know it was Miami then. We didn't know it was Miami, um, but you know uh, the team at the time and uh, Simon uh, and obviously and, and us and, and obviously CA worked with us at the time as well on on the, on the construct of that deal and it was uh, it was a it was a groundbreaking deal and that so how so that was back in two thousand seven so it was at least eight to nine years <laughs> if I'm getting my maths right that we were starting to think about that side of it. Yep. Fun, fun fact, my interview to join AEG, which was the first 10 years of my uh, career in the sports industry, uh, was in the AEG suite at Home Depot Center, as it then was, for David's first game with the LA Galaxy, which was, uh, I, I, I will remember the circus around that forever. It was, it was incredible. That brings back the memories. It was, it was an incredible uh, moment, I think, you know. Not only that, I remember the press conference, you know, where, you know, we had, we had, we had literally, if you imagine a football pitch, one half of the pitch from the center line all the way around the goal to the other center line, if you remember, um, had a camera crew positioned along, along the line. That's you know, right. Because, you know, and he did, he did every interview. I think he did every interview yeah. that day. I think it was like yeah. 123. Yeah. That, that's called working on the brand. That's that's working on the brand. And that's a good place to close. Well, if you guys, we could talk about this forever, but uh, we have some listeners to think about. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Simon Oliveira, really appreciate your time. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Daniel Kirshner, thank you very much also. Thank you so much for, for having me. And if you guys enjoyed what you heard today, please remember to subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on social, and hit the like and subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts for more of this. Thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you.